Hello and welcome to the Curious Life Podcast. My name is Yana Firestone. Today I'm joined by Dr. Nick Fuller, author of the bestseller Interval Weight Loss and Interval Weight Loss for Life. Nick is a leading obesity researcher and has been running the clinical research program at the Bowdoin Institute at the University of Sydney for the past decade. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on, Yana. It's uh, it's good to be on the show. I've been listening and I've uh, been following and, and loving your work. Oh, thanks so much. Always nice to have someone who knows a bit about the show. So, Nick, you have been you've you've spent your career researching obesity. And for the layperson, what actually classifies as obesity now? Yeah, there's a few different definitions. Uh, in a clinical setting, we tend to use a very crude measure called BMI, which a lot of people would have heard of, and that's uh, an acronym for body mass index. You simply measure your height and your weight, and it uh, calculates what your BMI is. So, you know, if you're having sort of that flashback to calculations in mass class there's a lot of good calculators online uh, health direct is one of the great government sources you just basically put in your height you put in your weight and it will tell you what your bmi is and to answer your question when we see people in a clinical setting if the bmi is above 25 and that is considered overweight if the bmi is above 30 that is considered as obesity or having uh, yeah, this condition or what we refer to really as a disease known as obesity. There's mm-hmm. also another good measure you can use too, which is waist circumference. But, you know, the most commonly used tool uh, in not only our clinics but throughout the world is is body mass index. Okay. Because I was going to say waist circumference, that's interesting because I, I would have imagined there's probably only a certain body type. You know, there are some body types that don't carry weight in the waist so maybe it wouldn't be indicative of their overall health yeah males tend to carry more of the weight around the abdominal area uh you know commonly known as that sort of beer belly type look and yeah females or women tend to have it or carry it more so around the hips uh thighs and buttocks but still we do know that waist circumference is a good measure uh so it's another good you know one you can put into the health direct and website and it will tell you whether you're at risk or not but believe it or not two in three people now are considered as being overweight so it's more than likely that listeners are carrying a few extra kilos and mm-hmm. that you know you do benefit from just losing two to three kilos and keeping it off because that is what we now know will reduce your risk of developing heart disease dying from heart disease and developing other uh, metabolic diseases like type to diabetes. So these are serious conditions and they're often related to carrying a little bit extra weight. So are you saying, is that those current Australian stats that two in three people are carrying a bit too much? That's right. So this is in Australia and we're leading the charge across the globe. We actually rank as the fifth heaviest nation in the world. So number one is, you probably would guess, America. Mm-hmm. Um, closely followed by Mexico, New Zealand. Uh, I think Hungary is in four, and then we come in at five. So we really are on par with the United States as being one of the heaviest nations in the world. So yeah, when you walk around, 
I mean, you know, local neighbourhood or you're on your lunchtime break, whatever it might be, if you look around, two in three people will actually be clinically diagnosed as, as overweight according to that body mass index, yeah. which is a bit of a crude measure because it doesn't mm-hmm. take consideration a person's muscle mass. Well, on the one hand, it's a bit of a relief, you know, when you're self-critiquing and you realise that it's actually two out of three people. But on the other hand, that's actually frightening as a statistic. Yeah, it is very frightening. And I guess the worrying trend is that more of the overweight people that have um, a little bit of extra weight, well, they're actually developing obesity. So we're seeing more and more of the overweight shift into the obesity category. Mm. Uh, and and once you start carrying even more weight, well, that's when you really put yourself at risk of developing heart disease, which we mentioned, and also type 2 diabetes, which is where basically an important um, organ in the body stops working properly and your sugar levels go up and then you can end up having amputations, you can go blind. So obesity really is a serious problem. Wow. Correct me if I'm wrong, is type 2 diabetes what was kind of considered for a while like the skinny man's diabetes? Like you'd have older men who weren't particularly overweight or, or hadn't had a lifetime of obesity necessarily and had just been eating whatever they want and maybe not exercising as much as they should and then later in life they're developing this type of diabetes? Well, you, you, yeah, you're sort of on the right path. So type 2 diabetes, we, we do tend to develop this later on in life. Okay. It's not always the case. I mean, now one in four kids are also overweight. So we're seeing type 2 diabetes in our children in our hospital clinics here wow. at RPA. So that's very scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, you've got the two main types of diabetes. Type 1 is an autoimmune disease. It shouldn't be confused with type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes tends to be associated with overweight and obesity. And you're right, it does tend to come on later in life as those kilos tend to creep up, you know, year after year and then decade after decade. We look in the mirror and all of a sudden we've put 10 kilos on. And in conjunction with that, we're also at serious risk of all of these health conditions. Our blood pressure goes up, our cholesterol goes up, um, our blood sugar level goes up, and then all of a sudden we might have type 2 diabetes. And when you get these diseases, it's very hard to reverse them. Right. Okay. Because that was going to be my next question. Once you've kind of slipped over the edge, what happens next? It's you, You're pretty much stuck with it? Well, you can reverse it, no doubt about it. We know from our hospital clinics, but also now program we translate into the community people are reversing their metabolic conditions Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know this is a good thing but it is harder to get rid of it when you actually develop the disease so it's harder to get rid of type 2 diabetes for instance um, once your pancreas stops working as efficiently or as good as it used to so it's better to prevent it in the first place and sometimes just a small weight loss like I mentioned before, about three kilos can be enough to actually uh, reduce your risk of, of dying prematurely from things like heart disease mm-hmm. and also developing disease in general. Wow, that's so interesting. Just such a small shift in your lifestyle can make such yeah. a difference. Absolutely, definitely. So what's actually happened? You know, there, there sort of seems to be at least in the realm of TV and, you know, social media and everything, there seems to be a trend towards healthier lifestyles, but it doesn't really sound like it's being reflected in reality. There has been a trend towards what I would call fad healthy lifestyles or fad 
yeah, fads in general, diets, whatever we want to refer to them as. Mm -hmm. But as a nation and across the globe, we're leading unhealthier lives. Now, what what basically has happened, and it sort of happened around the 1970s, 1980s, uh, you know, there was a huge change in our environment. Mm -hmm. We did see a greater abundance of these processed and packaged foods, mm. a greater reliance on, on uh, motor vehicles for all of our transport. So we stopped walking everywhere. We started to use a lot more technology. Uh, you know, we started to, to use the internet, use tablet devices. We're on our phones all the time. Mm -hmm. So... What has happened is um, we've basically put our genes, which haven't changed over time, into a modern-day environment where they don't know how to cope. So it's this evolutionary mismatch, and that's the term that scientists refer to um, as mm -hmm. this change in environment. So what we're now seeing is, you know, people can't stop reaching for the foods. We're addicted to all those processed and packaged foods, all those fast foods. We're driving through Maccas and KFC and all of these other fast food outlets. They make us feel good. They give us that pleasure response every time we have them. Uh, they release those feel-good chemicals in the brain. So every time we see them, every time we eat them, um, we remember that sense of satisfaction that it gave us. So we go want to go back for it again, and as a result really have become addicted to them. And then the second thing that's caused this increase in, in prevalence or rising obesity since the 1980s is we now look for the quick fix. So at the very same time when we saw this huge boom in the, in the well, with the obesity problem, uh, we also saw the boom of the dieting industry. This is when mm -hmm. the dieting industry actually took off. The first diets didn't really, you know, really started with the Atkins diet in the 1970s and everything really took off from then. Same time when our waistlines grew. So what we're doing is we're buying into all of these different diets and fads and products as sort of the quick fix and the magic bullet to our problems. But what they're doing is actually contributing to the very problem they proclaim to solve. So they're not helping solve the problem. They're actually contributing mm -hmm. to our growing waistline. So you've got two main things that are going on. One, it's our addiction to the processed and packaged foods and our inability to stop eating. And then secondly, mm -hmm. we go and buy into the dieting industry. We know from our research that people are trying four to five diets every year. They've been on 61 diets by the time they get to the age of 45. And they're actually dieting themselves fatter and fatter and fatter every single time. And now this is a $100 billion dieting industry. It is massive. You think about it, there is all sorts wow. of products, specially formulated foods, um, shakes and pills coming out every day of the week. So it's quite scary uh, and, and this is why we are actually mm. sadly getting heavier uh, as a nation and also across the globe. Well, can we talk about these fad diets and maybe specifically I'd love to get your thoughts on a couple that I've heard people talking about lately and one that keeps coming up is intermittent fasting. So I'm sure you've heard about that one where people are eating for eight hours of the day and then fasting I for the other. We have. So this of... is, like you said, I mean, we have, so patients come into our clinics. I work at an um, institution in Sydney, which is where we run the largest obesity service in Australia at the University of Sydney RPA Hospital. So people that come and see us have been on every diet you can possibly think of. And 
This is because they go to the internet mm-hmm. for advice and they listen to mainstream media for advice as well. And that's often because they don't know where to go for advice and, and there is a lack of any viable alternative. So they're buying into these diets. And one of them is, like you just said, the, the intermittent fasting program. Now, there's a UK doctor that um, is very famous for pushing out uh, the 5-2 diet, which is another form of intermittent fasting where you sort of restrict for two days. But another popular program is also the 16-8 where you actually modify the amount of hours that you eat in the day. Now, look, when it comes down to it, all of these diets, it doesn't matter which one it is, they always produce the same response. You can lose weight on every single one of them. It doesn't matter if it's the lemon detox, the cabbage soup, the celery juice, which is the current big one, or the intermittent fast. You're going to lose weight, but then what happens is every single time your body then starts to fight that weight loss and you will go back to your starting point. And we're seeing this even with intermittent fasting. People get the short-term fix, but then they get the long-term pain. They end up going back to their their set point or that weight you remember being at before you started diet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's not the answer, sadly, and all of these diets uh, are not helping. And there's a very good report for those that are really interested. You should go and look up a report called the US News and World Report. And what it does is it ranks all of these diets that everyone's talking about every single year. A leading group of experts actually get together and they have a scoring matrix, an objective scoring matrix, and they, they rank all of these diets according to the evidence behind them, their nutritional balance, their safety, and all of those important measures. And basically what they find is all of the ones that we commonly talk about, all the ones that are very popular in mainstream media at the moment, well, they're the ones that always are ranked down the bottom of the list. They're always ranking the bottom 10 because they basically don't have the science or evidence to back up their bold claims. The only reason they become famous is because celebrities push them out or social media influencers push them out and they're paid to do so. So diets and intermittent mm-hmm. fasts and all of these, you know, different approaches, yes, you get a, definitely get a short-term fix, but you, you get a long-term pain. We all celebrate when someone loses the 10 kilos, but we don't when they put the 11 back on. Right. Well, I guess that leads me to my next question because you've been very vocal in the media, in speaking out against influencers and social media, self-proclaimed fitness and diet experts who are pushing either bigger fad diets that we've heard about or their own version of things. And you've, as I said, you've been very vocal in speaking out against them and warning people not to take advice from people that are not actually trained in this area. What, what would be your biggest beef excuse the pun, with these influences and what's happening at the moment? It's, you're right, it's something that I am dearly passionate about because I want people to get the right messages. I want people to get the help they need. I've seen the frustration on thousands of people's faces that come through our clinics every day of the week. They have bought into this dieting industry for the last you know, decade or two decades or three decades or however long it may be, and they're just wasting their money they're believing what they're told through the media and they trust those people they follow online now a lot of influencers Mm -hmm. 
And big name celebrity influence are actually abusing that privilege that they have. They have millions of followers and they're pushing on their, these diets and diet products when, you know, those yeah. those diets and, and whatever they might be are actually only contributing um, to that, that person's problem more so. Now, I, I guess it, bringing it back to your point, there was a very good conference just this month in, in Europe and it basically validated what we've always known, what I've always known for a long time, that social media influencers don't actually dispel the right information. So what they did was they pulled out 10 uh, big-named influencers in the UK and they reviewed them according to, again, some objective criteria. And eight of eight, the, sorry, they reviewed nine of them, and eight out of the nine were dispelling you know, inaccurate and wrong information. Only one of them had credentials and the one that had credentials was actually putting out relatively accurate information. So, you know, it just goes to show that most of the time, 90% of the time when you go to social media and you scroll through Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it might be, those people that you're following, just because they have mass media followings, it doesn't mean they should be trusted. If anything, they're the last people you should be turning to for advice they're going to be giving you or giving you the wrong information. They're going to be doing more harm than good. Well, I think that's great advice and we probably should be thinking twice about everything that we're buying on social media in a sense of consumption. But, yeah, definitely something to think about, especially because, you know, my feed, I notice I get ads all the time with these fitness gurus and people that probably are really good at prescribing exercises. But as you say, they don't have any qualifications in diet or yeah, nutrition so no they're just promising those quick results that we're all after you know we all want the quick books and they look appealing but yeah. it's it's something that we should stop doing and and we will get to the point where they, that industry will need to be regulated um, but until we do and until that ideal world exists we as individuals need to stop turning to social media for advice because it is actually doing more harm than good Let's talk about your research because your theory, interval weight loss, subscribes to the theory that slow and steady wins the race. So let's take the assumption that people don't know about interval weight loss yet. And can you just tell us a little bit about how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So Mm -hmm. going back to what I was saying about diets, remember what happens is we can lose weight, but then we end up going back to our starting point or our set point, the weight we were at before we started Mm -hmm. the diet. Now, Often we keep going back to buy that diet again because we think we failed due to a lack of willpower. But yeah, sure, some of these programs or diets um, may be unrealistic to follow or sustain long term. But even when they're relatively um, or easier to follow, even if you right. stick to them, you're still going to fail. And this is why fewer than 5% succeed on their weight loss mm-hmm. attempts. Um, what I mean by that is when you follow them up uh, about five years down the track, they've put the weight back on and more after being on that diet. So the reason people are failing is not due to the lack of willpower. It's actually due to their biology. And this, again, goes back to our time as ancestors or our, when we were hunter-gatherers. Um, we would often go for long periods of time without food, days, weeks, And then when we did have food, we would gorge at the side of it and we would eat and eat and eat and store that until that next food supply became available. Mm -hmm. So, 
you know, you put those genes like I was talking about in the modern day environment and you have that evolutionary mismatch. So what happens is, Mm -hmm. uh, in layman's terms, you lose weight. When you start to lose weight, your body starts to function differently. Your metabolism or how much energy you're burning at rest, well, that's actually going to slow down. Your metabolism is going to lower. The appetite hormones in your body, they're going to start changing, telling you to eat more. And we've researched about eight different biological protections that Mm -hmm. kick into gear every time you lose weight. So as soon as you start to lose weight, basically your body goes into defense mode and it will start to work differently to ensure you go back to your start point. And this is why all the diets are failing. So what we realized was after putting people on these diets in our clinics, that there must be a way to overcome these biological protections. There must be a way to work with evolution rather than against it. So we devised this interval weight loss program. And what we did was Mm -hmm. we put people on the program and got them to lose about two to three kilos of weight loss over a month. And then we said, you have to actually stop. You have to maintain your weight during the next month and you're not allowed to keep losing weight. You've got to take the foot Mm -hmm. off the accelerator and then you can go and lose weight again during the third month. But then during the fourth month, you've got to maintain it again. So what it looks like visually is sort of a stepped pyramid approach going down. So you lose two, maintain that two, lose another two, maintain, and you keep going and it allows you to lose about 12 kilos over the year. But importantly, when you get to that 12 kilos after the year, you don't get that usual response to weight loss because what we found within a person's body was their metabolism wasn't decreasing, their appetite hormones weren't changing, the substrate they use at rest wasn't shifting from fat to carbohydrate. So what I'm saying is that all of those biological protections that usually kicked in the gear when we put people on diets, well, they were no longer evident. So as a result, the person could keep the weight off that they lost. And then people that are you know, much bigger and they might have say 20 or 50 or 60 kilos or even more to lose, they just need to follow the program for longer. But typically, remember, we can lose 12 kilos in a few weeks. That's not not an issue. That's Mm -hmm. easy. We can starve ourselves, lose the weight, or go on the next fad, but then we just stack that weight back on just as quick. So it might seem slow and steady, but you're actually going to end up losing a hell of a lot more. And your friend that may have went on, say, the intermittent fast or the 5-2 or whatever approach it might be, they're only going to be trying to catch up to you 6 to 12 months down the track when you're well ahead of the game. So interval weight loss is basically imposing breaks along the way and there are different principles of the plan uh, and that is one of the principles where you're actually having to weigh yourself once a week and and you're monitoring that trend over time, you're making sure that you only lose a small amount of weight during the weight loss months and you maintain it during the weight maintenance months. But there's also other aspects of, of the plan and other principles to the plan. One is about we talked about the addiction to food. Well, it, it teaches a person how to retrain their brain so they become less reliant on processed and packaged foods because we also know through our research that the brain is actually uh, plastic and plasticity exists, meaning that you can change the firing of the neurons of the brain so that you reduce your addic- addiction to, to the processed foods and you learn how to reach for nature again and, mm-hmm. and reach for nature first because the foods or the pleasure that you get from nature's goods that we used to get during our ancestors' time, well, they release the same pleasure response in the brain that the processed and packaged foods response uh, re- release. So it's a holistic 
approach to a person's lifestyle, mm-hmm. but people find it quite easy because they're told messages that they're not used to, you know, eat more rather than less. You, you don't have to keep trying to lose weight. You can actually have a break every every second month. So the hardest thing that they get their head around is that, oh, wow, I don't actually have to calorie count. I don't have to follow a set meal plan. I don't have to uh, um, restrict the amount of food I'm eating. It, it, you know, it's like I don't have to cut out any foods. It's, it's, it's basically something mm-hmm. we've been brainwashed to believe that all of those, you know, cutting calories, counting calories, following meal plans has been the answer but it couldn't be further from the truth. It's actually the opposite of that, and that's what the Interval Weight Loss Plan is teaching, and it's telling them what is the truth so they can follow an evidence, mm-hmm. evidence-based program, and they can also do it from anywhere in the country and across the globe. You don't have to come into hospital clinics to succeed, mm-hmm. and this is why we translated the books and the Interval Weight Loss for Life book, the second book. That's more of a practical approach so you can do it rurally or remotely and still succeed in the comfort of your own home. Fantastic. So for for those people that are still wanting that quick fix, is there any shortcut to losing weight effectively and keeping it off your body? So if you're still fixed on the quick fix, look, I can guarantee that <laughs> you're all, you'll always get the same response. There's going to be another diet that hits the shelves tomorrow and then there'll be another pill the day after and then another shake and formula the day after that. You'll always get those products coming out. Remember, this is a $100 billion industry, and these people that are selling this are making a lot of money out of your misery or our misery. Now, what you need to do is realise that that quick fix is never going to work. If you've been through the dieting story, you'll know. You would have lost and you would have regained and you would have done it multiple times. But even if you haven't, you've probably seen it with a friend or a family member or a colleague So that's the first thing to get your head around. You need to think about the long-term approach. If you can go and follow an evidence-based program that will get you weight loss without the regain so that you work with evolution, then it's better to do it once and do it properly and not have to worry about your weight again than what it is to go and waste thousands of dollars on all these diets and products that are going to continually come out every day of the week. So don't think about that short-term fix, getting ready for the wedding (laughs) or whatever other celebration it might be. You have to think about your long-term health. That is the most important thing. Yeah. And, yeah, and if, you, for instance, you're living rurally or remotely, you can even get, uh, with the Interval Weight Loss Program, we've set up an online Facebook community, Mm -hmm. the Interval Weight Loss Community, where people can request to join. Again, it's another free service. Right where you can request to join and get your answers, questions answered by other members in the community that may have already been, may have succeeded on the program, may be undergoing the program at the moment and likely to have a similar sort of challenge or or starting situation to you. So not only is there just the books, and again, you don't have to buy them, you can get them from the library, but there's also the Interval Weight Loss Community Group, which will sort of supplement your journey and make sure that you do succeed along the way and feel and make sure you're not it doesn't feel like you're alone you'll be doing it with other people um along the entire journey i think that's great and that's also a really great point that that this is something free that people can um access it's you know i think it's an important point because probably people might jump online and say well what's nick fuller getting out of this but really it's all 
available to everyone completely for free and it's about changing lifestyles and helping people to get healthier. Yes, and cutting through an industry that is plagued with, you know, basically people selling uh, snake oil and, and and contributing to people's problems. So, yes, you can follow it. You'll get, your pro- you'll get all of your questions answered. Um, I, I do encourage you to, to sort of link up with me too on social media through the, the Dr Nick Fuller's Interval Weight Loss page. There's also, like I mentioned, that Interval Weight Loss Community Group by clicking on groups um, and and getting the books, reading them at your library, taking notes, rereading them a few times because this information is often quite different to what you've been told. Um, So you have to just accept that this is the truthful based information. You need to unlearn all that foolish or bad information you may have picked up over the past few years or decades and start afresh and, and, and stop buying into that quick fix because otherwise you'll only end up with that same result you get every single time. I think that's a great point. And so this, I guess let's call it slow and steady approach, I guess that's really makes it suitable for everyone. So if you've got mums who are breastfeeding, you know, looking at losing two kilos in a month isn't really going to have any impact on your supply or anything like that, is it? No, that's right. Everyone can follow it. And uh, the next stage of the program too is we're actually going to be releasing an interval weight loss for mums to talk about the nitty-gritty details around, you know, challenging times like having a baby and and breastfeeding and having multiple kids, going through Mm -hmm. menopause. Um, But you're right, anyone can follow this. We do that. We do it with everyone that comes through our clinics as well. I mean, you, you might even have pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes but you can still follow the program you're still going to be able to lose weight and hopefully reverse or improve a lot of those conditions that you're currently suffering from yeah so don't don't fear that just because you've got your own challenges in life it's not suitable for you it it is suitable for you and I encourage you you know to have you to have an open mind to read the resources and apply them to your lifestyle in the best way you can fantastic I think you mentioned before one in four Australian kids are, is it obese or overweight? Yeah, one in four kids are actually suffering from overweight or obesity. So okay. they're also going to be covering, you know, carrying too much weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is also looking even more grim because more and more kids are becoming overweight every time we do a national health survey. So it's not getting better. You need to instill the right practices in your own family environment because that's what you pass on to your kids they watch your every move mm-hmm. um, and and there's no reason why they they can't be following the same healthy eating principles that you see in the interval weight loss program not focusing on weight loss but encouraging them to eat healthy to get better sleep mm-hmm. um, you know to reach for nature first to incorporate activity into their day-to-day life mm-hmm. about instilling a healthy lifestyle throughout yeah the whole family So if you've got parents that are looking at, and, and, you know, we don't even have to be talking about people that are needing to lose much larger amounts of weight, but probably looking at the statistics, most people can afford to lose at least a handful of kilos, maybe 10 kilos. So if if the parents are jumping on board, is it something that the kids can be following? I mean, in terms of the actual diet recommendations? Yeah, so because the interval weight loss program is about clearing up all those misconceptions around food mm-hmm. as one of those key principles, it is absolutely suitable for, for our kids 
and for the next generation that it'll teach them about what foods are good and, and why you should be putting plenty of good nutritious food into your body and, and not a lot of the processed and junk food which we've become more reliant on mm. importance of dinner time and, and that social and cultural setting around the table so there's many aspects of the program that apply to them Pretty much everything does. The only difference is you don't need to be focusing on your kids' weight mm-hmm. and weighing them. You let them lead the healthy lifestyle and let them follow in your footsteps. And by doing that, their weight will correct itself anyway over time if they tend to be carrying a few extra kilos at the moment. You certainly shouldn't be focusing on their weight. Mm-hmm. You just yeah focus on everything else. And that will then encourage good behaviours in, in into their lives, into, you know, your families, yourself. And the only difference is with yourself, yeah, if, for instance, if you had to lose a couple of kilos, most of us do, well, you do follow that, the weight tracking uh, principle, which is one of the key aspects of the Interval Weight Loss Program. Interesting. Okay. Well, I think that's good advice for all families anyway, just to be looking at the lifestyle that we are demonstrating to our kids, whether we're aware of it or not. I know a lot of my friends that are parents do a lot of um, secret eating when the kids can't see, Mm. but (laughs) essentially, you know, you want to be modeling the right type of behavior, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. You don't need to be doing secret eating if you're following a, you know, a healthy lifestyle anyway i mean they can embrace that time with you if you want to go to the to the maccas and and you know have that as your treat then sure do it and do it as a family you don't need to you shouldn't have to feel like you're hiding it from them mm. um you need to be you know, instilling good behaviors in in yourself but also then obviously your kids because they are they are much smarter than we think and they do pick up on it, every little bit of detail absolutely now, I actually heard you on, I think it was Alan Jones earlier on the in the year, talking about the Health Star rating system. And I know that a lot of people, when they are in the shops, they think they're doing the right thing. You pick something up, you look at the rating and you think, okay, that's pretty good for me. And maybe that's all you're looking at. But you had some interesting points to make in terms of the system really needing an overhaul. Are you able to share a little bit about that? Yeah, it's quite confusing. I mean, this was a system that could have done a lot of good, but it hasn't. Now, you know, me, for instance, I'm a consumer. I walk through the supermarket. I might pick up a, a tub of yogurt. might be one and a half star. And then I go and pick up a packet of chips and it has three star on it. Now, believe it or not, not just me, but many other people might then think, okay, the chips is probably healthier for me because that government star rating is telling me that it's got more stars yeah. than the yogurt. But the system hasn't been set up appropriately and it does need a complete overhaul. The two biggest problems is that, one, it's not mandatory. So if I'm a um, food manufacturer, I can choose whether or not I have it on my product. So I might choose to have it on some of my cereals, but then I won't have it on the muesli bars I mm-hmm. produce um, because it's going to give very low scores. So when you walk through the supermarket, what we are now campaigning for is for the government to make this mandatory for all products, all foods to have a health star rating. And I'm talking also about fruits and vegetables, whole grain breads and cereals. Everywhere you go, you should see this star rating because that will then start to instill behavioural change. If people are seeing five stars on all of these fruits and vegetables and products that aren't even in, pack, in packets, mm-hmm. then they're going to be starting to think, okay, there are they are much better 
and healthier mm. options than a lot of the other foods that we tend to be inclined towards at the moment because of this health star rating. Now, the other problem with it is we're finding consumers are comparing between products. I just gave a good example with the chips and the yogurt. You shouldn't compare between food categories. You should only compare within a food category. So if you pick up a tub of yogurt, you can compare to other yogurts, but you shouldn't compare that star rating to the packet of chips or something in the confectionery aisle. Now, again, it's going to be a bit of a limitation because not all those yogurts will have the star rating. So that's a problem. Um, but it's better to, to, if you are using the health star rating, just to use it within a food category. Certainly don't use it or compare between food categories because it's just going to mislead you and misinform you. I mean, there's a few other problems with it as well, but this is part of that next step now that we're basically saying to the government, you need to actually make this mandatory. You need to make it so that people are better educated on how to use it because if we can do that, we will start to instill behavioural change and people will start to make better food choices. So we're literally comparing apples with apples. Mm, that is it. So <laughs> something that could be very influential and, and very have a very powerful effect. Um, at the moment, it doesn't and it's, it's a waste of time. So we either need to make it mandatory and make a few other changes or we need to get rid of it altogether. And if you're a consumer at the moment, you just need to be aware of those limitations and if you want other information, you'll, you'll also find some I've, I've written. I do write a, a weekly article for uh, the Daily Telegraph, which is a publication in Sydney, but it's also uh, republicated, republished in Victoria and across other states in Australia. You'll see an article on this Hill Star rate, rating and, the, and, you know, the main flaws with the current system. So if you jump onto intervalweightloss.com.au, you'll see that that report. Fantastic. All right. Now for people that aren't maybe quite ready to jump into a full lifestyle overhaul, are you able to give me three quick tips that people can follow to make enough of an improvement in their life? Absolutely. At least to start with. Definitely. Three tips. That's a that's a good a good sort of measure on things you can apply and, and remember them easily. So even with our patients, what we'll say is the first one is you need to you measure, weigh yourself every week. So if you don't have scales, you need to go and buy some. And mm-hmm. they don't have to be fancy, but you need to get into your underwear or wear the same clothing every week and jump on those scales, same time, same day, and you need to track your weight. Now, you need to track the weight and you need to monitor it over time. And again, if you want a weight tracker, jump on intervalweightloss.com.au. There's one there for you. Now, that will allow you to monitor what's happening to your weight over time to tell you whether it's going down, up. And I'm not talking about the change from week to week. I'm talking about the change over the course of the month and over the course of the year. Because at the moment, we tend to put on as a population about one to two kilos every single year. So it's quite a lot of weight. Over 10 years, it quickly adds up to 10 kilos. So don't weigh yourself more than once a week. Just that's plenty because day-to-day fluctuations in body weight are too fast and they don't mean anything. Now, the second thing, every person needs to find one in 24. And what I mean by that is one hour out of the 24-hour day to devote to yourself. Now, in that one hour, Mm. you should include physical activity. We're not moving. You should be wearing a wearable device. I mean, believe it or not, if you already have a smartphone, it'll already be calculating how many steps you're doing a day. 
for instance, mm-hmm. in the Apple phones, there's the Apple Health Kit and tell you how many steps you're doing. But yeah, wear a wearable device and choose one in 24 every single day and devote that time to yourself. And this also includes if you've got kids, you still need to do it and you still need to be exercising every single day. Now, Mm. a third thing, another great one is around that pleasure response that I was talking about before in the brain. You need to learn how to reach for nature first. Remember, you're going to get the same pleasure response in the brain if you have a piece of fruit versus a piece of candy or a chocolate bar. You're still going to get the same feel-good chemicals being released in the brain. So you need to know how to retrain or learn how to retrain your brain so that you reach for nature first. So every time you go to the fridge or the pantry or you're shopping, always think, what did I say? Reach for nature first. They, they are probably the three most important things that anyone can implement and they should be implementing from today. Fantastic. Well, I'll certainly be jumping on board, Nick. Don't you worry I'm about that. I'm very happy to hear that. <laughs> You've mentioned a couple of times your website. Is that the best place for people to get in contact with you? Uh, There's honestly multiple streams. So I work at at the University of Sydney, um, but the Interval Weight Loss Program is a translational program. And if you're in the community and you want to follow it, I really encourage you to follow the Dr. Nick Fuller's Interval Weight Loss Facebook page. And if you jump onto groups, click on groups on that Facebook page, you'll see the interval weight loss community group that I was talking about, you can request to join. It doesn't cost you money, but you need to basically just explain to the other community members why you want to be part of it. They will help you then on that journey. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can message me through the Dr. Nick Fuller's interval weight loss page, or you can also email me and you'll find the email address at the intervalweightloss.com.au website. So you'll get your questions answered in one way or another. If you don't have Facebook, I mean, I still encourage you to set that up so you can be part of that community group because then it does allow you to to get the support you need from wherever you might be living. Fantastic. And grabbing the book from your library or from your bookshop, yeah. for those of us that are on the Kindle train, is it available there yet? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's available everywhere and, and the Kindle and e-books are um, much more cost-effective options too. Yeah. Um, those that can't afford to to buy anything but again you don't need to be spending any money on this program you can still your library will have it so yeah please do I encourage everyone to get their hands on it if they can fantastic and for anyone that's interested I'll put a link to the health direct government source that you mentioned in terms of the BMI calculator yeah I think it's very useful yeah and the US News and World Report and fascinating read absolutely and I might also put a link to the Daily Telegraph the Telstar rating article that you've written as well yes and of course for sure of course a link to your website and the facebook pages will also be available there all right wonderful excellent well nick thank you so much for your time that it's been invaluable i know i've certainly taken away a lot from this chat and there's a number of things that i'm gonna start doing differently today but yeah i just want to thank you so much for your time and for your work with the community oh it's been a pleasure yana talking to you and Keep up the great work and I will continue listening to your fabulous podcast. So thank you very much for having me on the show. Thanks so much, Nick.